Good morning, church. Uh, it's so wonderful to be back again at home and to see all of you turning up to listen to God's word. I'm so happy to be back home and uh, to see all of you in the presence of the Lord. I bring greetings from Nairobi and Kisumu, the brethren uh, there bring their uh, greetings and thank you very much for your prayers as uh, the elder mentioned the ministry went uh, well down there I will ask us to turn our Bibles to Hebrews and chapter 11 as we continue our series in the book of Hebrews and uh, we are in chapter 11, where we've been looking at the heroes of faith and uh, trying to learn from these uh, men and women how we can live victorious lives, even as God's children as well. They are a shining example of a Christian life as they overcame the many challenges and difficulties of life. Hebrews, in chapter 11, we will read verses 39 and 40. Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 39 to 40. If you are there, the Bible says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to be found in your house on the day that you yourself has uh, appointed as a day uh, for your worship. We thank you that it is you who has uh, caused us to see the light of day. It's you who has uh, caused us to even be enabled to come and be, and be among the many uh, people around the globe that have uh, joined together to worship your holy and glorious name. And so, Father, we ask that having brought us, may you now be pleased to open our eyes our spiritual understanding that we might indeed behold the beauty and the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that our faith in you might continue to grow from strength to strength, even as we are challenged to see how others lived for you, those that have gone before us, that, Lord, we might emulate their example and indeed continue to be conformed to the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do this for us, our Father, because we plead and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, you remember that uh, in our discussion on the heroes of faith in this uh, a passage of uh, Hebrews chapter 11, we have been uh, considering how that uh, the New Testament Christians go to a point where they began to desire to get back to Judaism, to their 
culture as Jews and to their religion because for the Jews both the culture and uh, religion was one and the same thing. And they have been Christians for a long time. But because of the challenges of life and the difficulties of life, they actually lost their first love for the Lord. And uh, the Lord that they once, they once loved so much and saved so much, risked so much for, suddenly that, uh, you know, is, is lost. And so we see the passage here that we have read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39 uh, to 40, challenging them as it brings the example of the Old Testament saints who, though they had no much uh, in terms of the privileges of uh, the, the revelation of God in showing the Messiah, in showing the scriptures and the future uh, bliss of uh, the saints, they outshined them in terms of uh, the quality and the degree of their faith. Because though these Old Testament saints did not see the Messiah, did not have the full revelation of the scriptures, they just had glimpses of the promises of God. Yet when you read about how they clung to the Lord and to the faith, you get amazed. And so the author of Hebrews is basically writing to show the New Testament Christians that, look, you are more privileged. You have more opportunities. The chances are far much more than your counterparts. And yet look at you. Instead of outshining them, the opposite is happening. What is wrong with you? You have Christ. You have the gospel. The revelation of God is now complete. Both the Old and the New Testament uh, is with you here. You, you have a very clear a picture of where you are going when you leave this world and what will become of you when you enter into glory. You know all these things very well. Why are these things not helping you uh, to be strong and to be firm and to be zealous and to be courageous in the faith? In other words, he's basically saying to them, this is a shame. It's a shame upon you that... Uh, with all the privileges that you have, you are failing to live up to your calling. And so, we see then that uh, these verses, verse 39 and 40, are a provocation to shame of those who knew better, who were advantaged, but who nonetheless failed to act in line or in accordance with their knowledge. And so, there is a sense in which these verses are displaying some form of a disappointment. You know, when you, are, you support a particular team uh, in sports, and uh, you, you know that our team is very strong, certainly we are going to win. This team we are playing with uh, is, is not as strong, you know, uh, and it's, it's less uh, uh, privileged in that sense. And then they go to, to play, and you discover that they are walloped. They are beaten badly. 
And when you analyze the game, they are beaten not because the other team is the most powerful and preferred, but because they were simply failing to convert the chances and those privileges that uh, they were having. And as a result of their carelessness, they have lost. Now just think of that disappointment you get. It's quite uh, you know, painful if, if you really are looking forward to see something better and something great coming out of your team, and then it fails to deliver. And this is what uh, the challenge is here for the New Testament Christians, of which we are part, that in real sense, we are supposed to actually outshine the Old Testament sense because we have more opportunities, more chances, more privileges given us than they. And so, we've been now trying to bring home this uh, understanding in an application form to ask ourselves, what are some of the lessons for us here in Africa, here in Zambia, which, you know, work against us making progress in our Christian faith that, that make us begin to draw backwards, that begin, you know, to, to, to pull us backwards, that we fail to mature in our walk with the Lord. Why do we continue, you know, to, 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 to remain babies in the faith when we should be growing to maturity? What is it that really pulls us backwards? And we noticed in the last discussion that uh, one of the things that put back these New Testament uh, uh, Christians was their inclination to their culture. Remember, they are trying to get back to Judaism. They want to go back to their roots, to their old life, their way of life. In other words, the, there is that aspect where the, the love of God, that first love that they had in Christ when they just closed in with him, when they just believed, is no longer as bright. The things that they left behind, and by the way, you, you, know, you know that these people when they crossed in with Christ, when they just believed, they went through very serious persecution that their properties were you know, gotten from them, but they risked it all. And then to find these same people today are saying, no, we are going back to Judaism. The author is saying, look, it's not making sense. And so we, we saw last time how our African traditional culture and religion has that subtle power, even among us today, that many of us, do not really serve the Lord as he has asked us to. In our African culture, in most cases, we still have believers who would rather do what our culture and our traditions ask of them than what God asks of them. And we emphasize that uh, we need to get to a point where as Christians, we remember and we are convicted that we have left that 
you know, environment. We are now new creation in Christ. When someone is in Christ, is a new creation, the old is gone, behold, the new has come. And as a result, our Christian life must then always be, what does God command of me? What does he want of me? Is this pleasing in the sight of God? It must always in everything be the question, does this please the Lord? Does God require this of me? And if the answer is no, it doesn't matter whether it's coming from an uncle, it's coming from mom, it's coming from whoever is important in our lives. The one who has the final word in our lives as Christians is Christ. What does the Bible say must guide your life? But as we saw last time, when specific areas of life, you know, are presented to us, especially those crisis moments of our lives, particularly times of beds and, and, and uh, initiation times uh, when children come of age, the times of sicknesses and times of death, we do not look to God in most of those times. We look to our culture. In fact, you hear some of the Christians saying, Mwambo ni Mwambo. And it's like Mwambo is so strong that even the Bible cannot change Mwambo. Now, if you are that kind of a person, you can't grow in grace. You cannot make progress in your Christian life. You need to overcome the cultural pool. Today, I want to add another practical aspect that which causes us to fail to make you know, progress. And it is an issue of backsliding. I want to talk about the subject of backsliding. That uh, just as there is a danger of African traditional religion for us as Zambians and Africans, there is also the danger of uh, the scene of backsliding. Now remember again that we live in a world that uh, is full of sin. We live in a world where Satan is still free, looming about and rolling like a lion, looking for somebody to devour. In other words, we have not yet reached uh, that stage where we have no trials and no temptations. There are so many factors that work against us to try and pull us backwards. And if we are not rooted, we are most likely to go the backslidden way. And this is uh, what we notice with our colleagues uh, here in this passage that uh, we've read, where they had privileges of having the Lord, they had the privileges of having the gospel, they had the privileges of uh, the promises of God, and yet still, they were outshined by the Old Testament saints. And that could easily be the case with us, particularly if we lose the first love. I want to believe that backsliding is actually the first step in demonstrating that someone has actually lost his first love for God. Now, first love is very strong, and God would desire that as believers, 
we maintain that kind of love that we had with him when we first believed. Most of us would remember and recall how when we crossed in with Christ in those years, we were so zealous, we were so passionate, we wanted really to be where the word of God is. We wanted to be where the prayers are being conducted. We were so zealous for the Lord. But somewhere along the way, that light, that pool upwards is no longer there. Meaning that there is something in this world that has taken that place. And therefore we have become a very complacent kind of Christians. And to discuss this uh, subject, uh, this practical subject, I want us to consider the words in Revelation chapter 3. And... uh, in this passage, I want us just to notice um, a few things as regards this um, uh, problem or this scene of backsliding. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 22, we have the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to the church at Laodicea and uh, is actually rebuking this church for this particular sin. I want you to read with me Revelation 3:14 to 22 where the Bible says And the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of God's creation I know your works You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, and I want you to notice that word, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, Blind and naked, I counsel you to buy from me God refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and serve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So the Bible describes this state where one has lost the first love as being lukewarm. is neither hot nor cold. And as far as God is concerned, that state is not pleasing to him. It displeases him. 
when a Christian is lukewarm. And I pray that uh, this COVID-19 that has really ravaged our lives, we will not be your excuse for becoming a lukewarm Christian. For losing that first love that you had with Christ, that now you are neither hot or cold. Now you have remained the kind of Christian that must just be pulled. The things of God are not as appealing in your life as they used to. And once you notice that in your life, just know you are in a backslidden state. So let's look at some of the symptoms then from this passage Firstly, the symptoms or the signs of backsliding. Verses 15 to 17 of uh, Revelation chapter 3. Verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would you, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold... I will spit you out of my mouth. So, lukewarmness, brethren. Lukewarmness is that type of water which is uh, not cold, not hot, but it is lukewarm. And it is speaking of that loss of zeal, that loss of interest in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why in verse 19, uh, in verse 19 there, it is saying, be zealous and repent. Because zeal for the Lord is something that pleases the Lord. God, in calling us to himself, He has called us that we might see and appreciate and be grateful for the great love that he has poured upon us. In our being zealous for the master, in our being hot for the master, it is a demonstration that we do understand what it has cost our Lord and our Master in purchasing our souls. And so in being zealous and hot for the Lord, we are basically saying, Master, this is the little I can pay as a debt for your grace towards me. Now, when you don't get to be hot and zealous in the things of God, you are basically communicating to the Lord that you don't mind what he has done. You actually don't care. It doesn't matter to you whether he takes it away or not. Well, he has saved me, so what? And so the symptoms then of backsliding are these here. You become lukewarm. You lose zeal. And you lose interest in the things of God. And these are things that you yourself can tell. No one is able to say, are you backslidden? 
you yourself can look back at your own life and ask yourself, in this year and since the time of COVID-19, can I really look back and compare my life then and now and still say, yes, I'm still zealous for the Lord? Some of us have become so comfortable. In fact, we are even praying that COVID doesn't end. Because once COVID ends, then the elders will come and say, hey, Baba, what are you still doing? There is no more COVID. So we are hoping we can still continue having COVID. Imagine a Christian who can be thinking like that, that we should continue having COVID. Or because this environment that has been created has become so nice that we have a good excuse for not saving the Lord. If you are in that state when Sunday is approaching and you begin to feel sad instead of rejoicing that the Lord's day is coming, how like, you know, like David, I must long to be in the house of the Lord and rejoice with the brethren and bring glory and honor and praise to him who loved me and died and purchased my soul that I might be redeemed from the pit of hell. If that is not the case with you, most likely you are in a backslidden state. We used to receive a lot of phone calls from some of you. Pastor, elder, when are we resuming worship times? Life is just like we have lost something. We, we can't feel, you know, ourselves. And we began to sense that, yes, God's children are inconvenienced. They want to be in the house of the Lord to worship him. Why? Because they are hot. They are zealous for the Lord. So it is not a hidden matter. You can tell yourself whether you are in a backslidden state or not by your heart's desire to do the things of God, to please the master, and to worship the Lord. Can anyone really be zealous for something that uh, he doesn't love and something that he has no interest in? Can someone really support something that he doesn't love and he has no interest in? Something that you have no confidence in? As you think about your own life and how you have been carrying yourself, these are the things you should be asking yourself. Am I hot and zealous in the things of God? In supporting the work of the Lord? In ensuring that the work of the Lord moves forward? In ensuring that the kingdom of God is being established here on earth and my contribution is part of it. Are you as zealous today as you were a few years ago? And if the answer is no, I want you to know that you are in danger. You are in a backslidden state. You have certainly and definitely lost your first love for the master. And 
The caution to you is repent and be zealous. That's what the Lord is saying. Be zealous and repent of your current state. And you will receive the blessings of the Lord. But secondly, the source. What is the source of this backsliding? If the symptoms are lukewarmness, loss of zeal and interest, what then is the source? Verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Do you notice the I in that uh, verse? I'll read again. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. What this verse is telling us is that in this life there will be detractors. There will be elements and issues that will detract us from focusing on our calling, from focusing on the spiritual requirements of God, from focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ and the things that are yonder. And this world is very good at doing that. They, the, the world wants you to lose focus. It wants you to lose that aim and goal of your Christian walk with the Lord. In a sense, the world would want to derail you. You know, when the train is coming and it gets derailed, it gets off the tracks or the car is running at full speed on the road, and then suddenly it loses control and goes off the road. That's what the world, Satan, would love to do to us. And so here we are, we begin very well, and we begin to live for the Lord, and we love the Lord. Along the way, we begin to hear more voices like Adam and Eve. They only had the voice of God, but now Satan has also come in and provided another alternative. And they are now beginning to listen more from him than from the Lord. And what happened thereafter? Because they got detracted from the voice of God, they ate of the forbidden tree. And here we are in, in a mess. The whole world feels the effect of losing focus. And here the Bible is actually speaking of someone who instead of focusing on the things of God, focusing on maturing and growing like these Old Testament saints of old in Hebrews 11, so that they are resolved they are steadfast. They are immovable in the faith. They get distracted. Like the New Testament, the early, test, the early uh, saints in the New Testament who got distracted. And they fix 
their eyes on physical achievements, on the temporal things of this world. They begin to put more effort and energy on the things that their hands are able to achieve and do. And they even begin to have confidence and trust in these same things. Oh, now I have got a big house. Now I have got a big car. Now I have got... They can count so much of their achievements. But at what cost? At the cost of their spiritual life. When you compare their time and energies and financial, you know, spending on the things of the world, much of it that does not even add value to their life, only excitement and personal pleasure, you compare that with their spending in terms of energy and time and involvement and resources in the kingdom of God, you get amazed. And we still get back to the conclusion, this person is in a backslidden state. How come that uh, the world has taken the bigger part of his life? Because as a Christian, we know that in the priorities of life, the spiritual life is higher than the physical. We know that, yes, there are requirements for us to work on the physical side of life. But in, in terms of the priorities of how God has set things to be, number one must be the love of God. With all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our strength, you shall love the Lord your God. And then only after will you be able to now love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's a, the whole commandment of the Lord. But we have turned these things the other way around. And we begin by ourselves and, and, and we want to first of all make sure we are well and safe. And then when there is change of our time and energy and resources, that's what we bring to the Lord. You are in a backslidden state, my friend. You are working in a reverse. That's not Christianity. A Christian prioritizes spiritual matters. Because to him or her, even though all things may be taken away, I only remain with my God. And I will still be glad. But here, look at how this, this person is uh, hitting even his chest in, 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 in feeling so, so, so happy. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. And I need nothing. And in that word of saying I need nothing is including I, I need not even God himself. I am okay. If I have problems, I have the money. I'll use my money to sort out those problems. And so, while the true believer's faith goes out to a life and energy beyond him, and which becomes surety for what his eye has not seen. The backslider refuses to admit into his purpose of life anything other than what his effort and energy has achieved for him. His sense of satisfaction is in the things that he acquires and not necessarily in God. 
Thus, to spiritual matters, he is lukewarm. He is neither cold nor hot. He's self-centered. And both the joy of the Lord and the zeal for the Lord are absent in his life. The gospel, the things of God in general, no longer has that strong appealing to him or her. And therefore, despite all his physical wealth, his physical achievements, he is spiritually poor. And I like what the Lord, you know, says. Just see with me again verse 17. But notice especially the, word, the Lord's words to such a person. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Now notice the Lord. Not realizing that you are wretched, you are pitiable, you are poor, you are blind and naked. I want you to observe from these words the difference between how a backslidden person looks at himself and interprets his situation and compare with what the Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, sees him or says about him. As far as the backslider is concerned, all is well. I don't need anything. The Lord says, no, my friend, unfortunately, here is a true state of your condition. He says, you are pitiable. You are poor. You are blind. You are naked. And what I like about uh, the Lord here is that uh, after saying these words and showing him how bad he is and the, the state that uh, he's in, you expect that the Lord is going to come down with force on this backslider and, and warn him and censure him and, and rebuke him. But no, he comes through to him with gentleness and tenderness. And this is the amazing thing about our Lord. That even those who may look at themselves with the worst of sinners is so gracious and so merciful. And this brings us to the third aspect of the solution to the backslider's problem as the Lord brings it to him in verse 18. Notice how the Lord starts, the, the very language. Not rebuke, not essential. He says, I cancel you. I cancel you. To buy from me God refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and serve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. That is amazing. When I was reading these words about the Lord, what immediately came to my mind were the words of that hymn we sing, in tender mercy he sought me. 
weary and sick with sin, and on his shoulders brought me to the ford again. All oh, the love that sought me, all oh, the blood that bought me, all oh, the grace that brought me to the ford, wondrous grace that brought me to the ford. Backslider. Christ gives you both the true picture of yourself right now and the solution or the remedy for your wretched state. As far as is concerned, you are spiritually poor. You have no provision for your soul to live on. As a matter of fact, you are in a big debt to the justice of God. And unfortunately, you have nothing because you are poor. You have nothing to pay off the least part of that debt. That's how he describes you. But not only that, he's saying you are blind. And because you are blind, you cannot see your state. You cannot see your way. You cannot see your danger. Right now, you cannot see Christ or God by faith. Neither can you see death. Even when death is right before you. You know, when you lose sight of the spiritual world and the truth and the reality of things as God has described them for us, you enter into this false world which gives you the false hope and you begin to think that you are going to live forever. You still have a long time to live on earth. You are going to continue to be young. You are, con you are going to continue to be healthy. You know, as long as you are just accumulating more and more of stuff, all will be well. That's not a description that God gives us. Only in the spiritual understanding will you be able to see that life here below is short. And any time the Lord can call any one of us home, whether through COVID-19 or any other means, so death is always just before us because God has not sat down with anybody and said, you, you are going to die at 80, you, you are going to die at 40, you are going to die at 20. No one. Each day that comes, we live it by just the grace of God. It's a miracle. And only a Christian understands that. And living in that reality should then change your way of living. What if he called me home today? Will I be ready? Will he be pleased with my works? Will he say, well done, zealous servant of mine? Here, this backslider has misguided priorities. And Christ is correcting them for him. He adds that he's in fact also naked. He was thinking, you know, when you have money and you have filled your wardrobe with all kinds of, uh, you know, tailor-made clothes, you don't think you are naked. You feel you are clothed. Jesus has a different view. He says, you are naked. You have no clothing. You are exposed to sin and to shame. 
Your righteousness is but filthy rags. Yes, you have the physical covering, but not the covering of the blood of Jesus to protect you from the wrath of God that is soon to come. If you will not be found in the righteousness of Christ, you will be naked in the eyes of God. But the good news is you can obtain all these from Jesus himself. And what is interesting is that these things are for free. You buy, you know, when you use the word buying in our human language, you, you are thinking of how much do I have. And then he surprises you by saying, you buy for free. The charge of the true riches, the charge of the robe of righteousness, the divine vision can all be bought from Christ as God's best gifts without money and without price. What about that? And so what this means, loved one, is that help to deliver you from your lukewarmness is very near. It's not far. It's right with the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, he knows that you have misguided priorities. And his counsel to you right now is that you must drop your vain and false opinion that you have of yourself and endeavor to be part it, I mean, to be that which you really should be. That's what you must endeavor to be. What Christ is describing you to be. That is who you really are. And all he's asking you is to heed this counsel. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. That's the word. Be zealous, repent. That's all he's asking of you. And when you do that, oh, this God is amazing. Look at the additional incentives that he gives for just you, you, you know, Coming back to him and repenting and beginning to be hot and zealous. Look at the additional blessings you receive in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Those are additional incentives. For you coming back to the Lord, he's actually saying, he's going to throw a party for you, <laughs> as if you went to do something nice. No, from just returning, returning from your wickedness and from your sin and whatever that has made you to lose the first love. When you return, 
He's saying he's going to throw a party for you. You remember the story of the parable of the, the prodigal son. This is it here. The boy has squandered the father's money. He's now in a deplorable state. But when he returns to the father, the father opens up his arms and throws a party. And there is rejoicing. So the sins are forgiven. And in addition, he receives a great reward. And what is this reward? Verse 21 says, it's a reward to sit with him on his throne. Oh my, what can be better than this? If there's anything you do not deserve, is first of all a party, forgiveness of sin, and later on, to cause you to sit on the highest throne there ever is the throne of God. And Jesus says, look, I am the example myself. I also came down and I faced a lot of temptations and trials, but I overcame them. And when I overcame, my father made me to sit on his throne. And he then turns to the backslider and says, if you too can overcome your backsliding state and you return to the first love that you had for me and you become zealous and hot for me, this is what I will do for you. I will forgive your sins. I will throw a party for you. But I will also cause you to sit on the throne with my father. If you are here and you are thinking, yeah, I'm in a backslidden state, but what can I do? It's not me speaking. The Lord himself is inviting you back to himself. And all these blessings will be yours in Christ Jesus. Remember, Ephesians 2.11 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Return to this place of your calling. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for zeal and being hot for the Lord. That's what he wants to see from each one of us. No excuse at all. Let's live for the honor and glory of our Lord. But he has a small caution or warning, just in case after all this appeal, the offer of abundant love and mercy and grace is rejected by you. Then he, he has no option. Verse 19, he tells us, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. He doesn't miss his words. Remember that Christianity is not something we create. Christianity is something that God himself has created, and it began before time. In that counsel of God, 
He chose a people for himself. He elected a people for himself. And those that he elected, he gave to the Son to redeem. And those that the Son redeemed, the Holy Spirit sealed them for redemption. And what that means is that that exact number of the elect of God are the exact number that Christ has redeemed and are sealed for redemption. Now, if you are one of those that uh, he chose in eternity past and his son has suffered as he has done and the spirit of God has truly sealed this redemption upon your heart and then you choose not to love him with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind, this is where this verse 19 is coming in. He's saying, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. You are not going to escape because you are just being disobedient, child. And like any other good parent, you want your child to behave. And God is determined to do anything and everything possible that will break that stubbornness in you. And I can assure you that if you take God's grace for granted, you hate yourself. It's just like a child who is so stubborn and the parent keeps saying, no, my child, please stop. This is wrong. Don't go this way. This is not the right path to go. And the kid just continues on that path. You are parents here. Do not let the anger of God come upon you. Do not wait until God decides to discipline you. Because you don't just know what he will do with you. And sometimes I must mention, this is why some believers die early. He can actually terminate your life if he knows you are, you are not being profitable. You are not being fruitful. And yet he loves you. He will withdraw you. That's how bad it can get. And yet he's doing it because he loves you. It's a danger to be in a backslidden state. And I plead with you that if you are in that state, look to him. Repent of it. Ask the Holy Spirit to take over your heart again and give you back that zeal and that hotness, that fire in your bones that we might see a child of God who is truly on fire for Christ. That we will not have a church full of men and women, boys and girls that need to be pushed to do the things of God. No. Each one of us has been called independently. We each were called by God and we put our faith in him and we loved him individually because he first loved us. Therefore, let us, each one of us individually, respond to that love. And God has promised all these blessings. It shall be well with us. But if you are here 
and you are not even a child of God. You have not even begun. Meaning, even this issue of being zealous and hot for the Lord is not even there. Imagine if he's able to punish his own children for being idle, complacent, lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. If he can punish them for it, what about you has not even started? If you are here and you are not a child of God, I plead with you, you are in the worst danger. Come to the Lord and repent of your sins and let him hold you and take you and forgive your sins so you might become his child today. And once you have become his own, you can then commit yourself to serving him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength to the glory and the honor of the living God. Amen.